Wow. That's a great song. I'm a little bit undone, actually. Charlotte, that's partially your fault. What was the second song that we sang? Awake My Soul. I don't know if... Don't know if it's worship, don't know if it's the gravity of what it is that I'm going to be sharing today, but the Spirit is here. Nearly six years ago, Shelley and Evie Abram and I were on a trip to the US. Evie had had this fantastic opportunity with her dance school to dance on main stage at Disneyland. So cool. And so we were fortunate enough, we were able to make a trip out of that. And so we were in Disneyland for for more than a week. And lots of ride, lots of dancing, heaps heaps of fun. I wasn't dancing, but there was lots of dancing. Um, and on one particular day, uh, all of the dance families, uh, there, there, was a, there was a trip that had been organised, a day trip around LA. And so all of the families had got onto the bus doing a bit of a tour around LA. And as part of that day, we'd gone out to Santa Monica Pier. And so that's there. Some of you may have been there before. And, and of course, you know, even though we'd been in Disneyland for a number of days already, Abe had not had enough of roller coasters and so you know he was saying I want to go on the roller coaster I want to go on the roller coaster well you know mate we haven't got a whole lot of time the bus is going to be leaving in a couple of hours but all right so Shelley and Evie I think were off having a look around and Abe lined up to go on the roller coaster and I waited just at the queue um, while he went for a ride and 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 the minutes started going by and I'm thinking all right you should be coming off any any moment now there's no Abe. So I start paying attention to the people in the queue. You know, you're starting to watch the people who are coming off the ride and trying to remember, were they in front of him or were they behind him? And the people are coming off the queue and, oh, the bus is going to go soon. I haven't seen Shelley. Now I'm in trouble. Um, then I started watching the people who are still in the queue. Queue goes into a building and I lose them when they go into the, into the building. I start watching people who are in the queue and then they start coming off and I'm going, I've lost the kid. Where's Abram? It's busy, it's a crowded place, it's in a foreign country and I don't know if you've been around, you know, Venice Beach and, and Santa Monica, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a seedy joint. Where's this kid? Shelley comes back. Where's Abram? I don't. He should have been off by now. You need. You need to go looking. I don't want to go too far away. Uh, you know, because if hopefully, you know, he's he knows enough. We've been in a theme park for the last couple of days. He knows not to wander off. But um, I'll stay close. You go looking. Shell goes looking. More minutes go by. Go by. She she goes to. Um, Security on the pier. We've got this lost 11-year-old boy. Security's out, out looking. Bus is going to leave. Next thing, Abe turns up. 
as if nothing had happened, of course, you know, like he just comes off the ride. It turns out that all the big kids have just been pushing in. Poor bloke. If you've ever lost a child, you know what this is like. You know what it is like to just have this absolutely singular focus, sick to the stomach. My child is lost. They've been separated. Anything can happen. Nothing else matters. This is our final message in our Let's Go series. Let's go on mission. And Kev kicked us off three weeks ago with Let's Go with Vision. And then Andrew followed that up, Let's Go into the Harvest. And then last week encouraged us, Let's Go with Deep trust and today we're going to answer the why question. Why are we to go on mission? Why should we care? Over the last couple of weeks I think Kev and Andrew have both referenced this verse in in Matthew. I'll need your help. Thanks Ethan. When Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion on them Because they were confused, they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion because he saw people who were lost. And it seems as though the translators have some trouble here because they say he looked out and saw people who were aimless. They were harassed, distressed, faint-hearted, cast down, weary, worn out, scattered. They were sheep without a shepherd. And this is our right response. Our Christ-like response to lostness is compassion. And the Greek word here, it's a cracker. The Greek word is shpaglitzomai. You can have a try of that, shpaglitzomai. It literally means to have one's bowels yearn. It is the churning in our gut This was Jesus' immediate, his visceral response to seeing sheep without a shepherd. That's how Shelley and I felt out on that pier. Shbaglitz on my. And I don't know about you, but I'm just not sure that I see the lost all around me with the same compassion that Jesus does. For my own kid, absolutely. But for what, what about the confused and the helpless masses? Compassion for the lost is the starting point. Compassion is the deep motivation. It is the driving force of mission. And you'll remember we've spoken about this a lot, that, that the mission of God is everything that he is doing in pursuit of his vision. And this vision that God holds is is everything in heaven, everything on earth gathered up and into Christ. That's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1. Humanity and divinity reconciled in the Son, the family of God, oneness. And so God's mission, the missio Dei then, is, is his reconciling work in history to bring about that vision of oneness and from God's side 
This work of reconciliation is done. It's already complete in Christ. It is finished. And so then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, he tells us that spreading, spreading the message of this reconciliation, sharing the good news of what Christ has already accomplished, that job has been entrusted for us, entrusted to us. Paul writes, now then, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus has secured reconciliation between God and us and now we're commissioned on his behalf to go, to implore all who are lost, be reconciled to God. And one of the ways that Jesus describes his mission was, in, was this in, in Luke 19. He said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a search and rescue mission. And what's really important for us to understand is that the Father's desire is that all are found, that all are saved. Listen to this in case you doubt that. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones would perish. Not one. The word perish here is apollomy. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Bernie might need to help me. Apollomy. I think I put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. But the root of this word is, is to cut off. It's, it's to separate. And then by separation, apollomy is to be absolutely lost. It's to perish. It is to be utterly destroyed. So can you see the vision of God is oneness and the definition of lost is separateness. The consequence of separateness is destruction. It's, it's the same word that, that Jesus uses again uh, here in John, John 6.39. He says, he says, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, that I should lose nothing but should raise it up on the last day. So of all he, he has given me, and Paul's just reminded us of that, what has the Father given the Son? Everything in heaven, everything on earth. And the Father's will is that he should lose none of it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises as, as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. No one to be lost. No one to be separated. No one to be cut off. No one to be destroyed. No one to perish. The Father is adamant. And so through Christ, he has done everything necessary from his side to achieve total reconciliation. There is no reason for people to live aimlessly, helplessly, in confusion, in isolation. From God's side, separation has been utterly overcome. And so now it's you and me 
who seek and find. It's us who carry the good news of that reconciliation to the lost. That we would implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In, in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables about lostness. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And I'm, I'm not going to put the passages up on, on the screen. Instead, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles on. Um, that you might actually follow on with me, or alternatively, you might just listen to these parables as we go. But I encourage you to track with me, underline and highlight some things. So starting at Luke 15, verse 1, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So here's the scene. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. So here's Jesus. Jesus is with the lost. He's with the outcast. He's with the sinners. And this is where we always find Jesus. He's with the sick. He's with the powerless. He's with the, the marginalised. These are the separated ones. These are the lost. And we can fall into a trap of over-spiritualising this, I think. And of course, there absolutely, absolutely is a spiritual dimension. But make no mistake, Jesus did not come to comfort the powerful or to entertain the insiders. He came for the lost. He came for, to the ones who, who were outside, to the ones who were separated from community. And so it should come as no surprise that these are the ones who often came to listen. Meanwhile, here are the powerful religious elite, the insiders, grumbling and complaining. So this is the premise for Jesus' teaching. He's teaching the Pharisees here. He's teaching the Pharisees why he is here and who he is for. And it's a pretty sharp lesson. So let's pick that up now at verse 3. This is the parable of the lost sheep. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost... What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he, when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If a man has, is how Jesus starts this parable. Um, and this is the first requirement of lostness. This man has a hundred sheep, one gets lost. You can't lose something that doesn't belong to you. You can't lose something that you're not responsible for. And so this idea of belonging, of ownership, is the first idea I want you to hang on to. The second is this. 
Was the sheep rebellious? Did the sheep knowingly and defiantly wander off? Say, I've had it with you, other 99, and wander off. No. He was probably just following the green grass, just naively, unthinking, doing what sheep do. But ultimately, though, this sheep was separated from its flock just by a sheep being a sheep. It became separated, cut off, vulnerable. Because of this, this, this sheep was, was utterly dependent on the shepherd for rescue. The sheep could not find itself. It could not rescue itself. And so the shepherd picks up this lost sheep and he carries it home and he's overjoyed at finding and saving his lost sheep and he even calls his neighbours and his friends and says, Rejoice! It's weird. This dude loves his sheep. <laughs> He's treating it like a, lost, like a lost child. And indeed, that is the point. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is also drawing on some prophetic language here, right back in Jeremiah 50, where God calls the people of Israel the lost sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. We read in Jeremiah, my people have been lost sheep, their shepherds have led them astray. He's clearly having a crack at the Pharisees here. Let's go to to verse 8, the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp, sweep the entire house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin in the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. It's interesting, shepherds and widows, isn't who God aligns himself with. So she has ten silver coins, loses one. The coins belong to the woman, one is lost and so she searches and she, she uses everything that she has at her disposal to get it back. So we, we've also gone from sheep to coins and I think now Jesus has really grabbed the attention of the greedy Pharisees, especially now because we're talking about one in ten. It's a tenth. It's the tithes. So she's lost the bit that goes to the temple. She better get it back. And so again, did, did the coin rebel? Did the coin lose itself? Of course not. It's a coin. Sometimes I think my money loses itself. It's a coin. It has no capacity to lose itself. It has no agency to save itself. And so the woman swept and she shone a light and and she found what had been lost through no fault and through no agency of its own. And the celebration of the woman and the joy among the angels is just like we read in the last parable. Here comes the big one. Parable of the lost son from verse 
11. Jesus, he's carrying straight on. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them, told the Pharisees this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. Apollo me of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, and so please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead. And has now returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. And so the party began. This man had two sons. This son of mine can't lose what doesn't belong to you. It's interesting that that we've gone from one in a hundred to one in ten to one in two. Jesus is really deliberate about the numbers. And so the son, one of two brothers, separated himself. He willfully left his father. He willfully left his family and he went to a distant land. Instead of the naivety of sheep and instead of the complete lack of agency of a coin, now we're dealing with rebellion. We're dealing with an act of the will and surely this is the worst kind of lostness, to know the love of the Father and to reject it, to know family, to know identity, to know belongingness and then trade it all in. The younger son actually preferred that his father be dead so that he might take his inheritance and go and and do as he pleased. And meanwhile, the father, the father never lost love for the son. But neither did he go looking. The father did not leave the other son. He did not light a lamp. He did not sweep the floor. Instead, they remained separated until the lost son came to his senses, repented, turned around, came home of his own accord. And the father was, was always 
reconciled to the son, but it was up to the son to reciprocate. It was not until he was living with the pigs did the younger son finally feel the consequence of his rebellion, the loss of his inheritance and the regret of separation. Only then did his lostness reveal itself when he was poor, when he was hungry, when he was powerless and alone. And so he repented and he turned around. And then from a long way off, the father saw his son and he ran to meet him with his arms open wide. No lecture, no punishment, just wild rejoicing and extravagant celebration. And the love of the father overflowed and the son's identity and his dignity and his community, it was comprehensively restored. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. What do we do with this? What do we do with this deliberate lostness? Do we go searching? Do we light a lamp? Do we sweep the floor? Or like the father... Do we live, leave free will to take its own course and perhaps desperation leads to repentance? This is a really deliberate conflict between these parables. I think Jesus gives us some pretty strong cues with the older brother. So let's pick it up now at verse 25. So, so this, is, this is parable three, act two. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he and. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Never once did refuse to do a single thing you told me to do. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you kill, you celebrated by killing the fattened calf. The father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The older brother had been busy working in the field. He had spent years slaving in the father's house and it certainly seemed like the righteous, like the praiseworthy thing to do. And meanwhile, this rebellious son of yours, not brother of mine, comes home and you embrace him, you honour him, you make enough food to feed the whole town. The older brother is so angry, so full of contempt, the opposite of compassion. 
that he will not even go in the house. He is complaining that the father is eating with a sinner. Does that sound familiar? And what does the father do? The father comes out like a shepherd looking for his sheep, like a widow searching for her coin. The father comes out and begs the older son, pleads with, pleads with him, come in, be reconciled. The father said to him, look, dear son, You've always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Effectively, Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you are this older brother. It's true, you stayed in the father's house and and all he has is yours. But here I am, Jesus is saying, Here I am with the tax collectors, with the sinners. I am with your lost brothers and sinners while you grumble and complain. You've completely missed the point. The word for older brother is presbuteros. It just means elder. You elders, you Pharisees, the teachers, your job is to take care of the flock. You are the shepherds. If you were truly about your father's business, perhaps you would have been the ones lighting a lamp and sweeping the floor and searching the fields, looking for your brothers and sisters, pleading on my behalf, be reconciled to your father. Celebrating and rejoicing with me when they are found. There are four who are lost in these three parables and only one who remains so. The one who was meant to go looking. The one who slaved in the father's house, the one whose heart was hardened with contempt for sinners rather than broken with compassion for the lost. The lover of prostitutes is found and the one slaving in the father's house is lost. Am I more like the older brother than I care to admit? more comfortable in the house, hard-hearted in regard to my rebellious brothers and sisters, indifferent to those who've naively wandered away and unmoved toward those who have simply never heard. The fact that I know that the Father is waiting with arms open wide, it should propel me. It should propel us with great confidence and with deep trust to go to seek and to find the lost. The Father is already reconciled with all of humanity in Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. And that's the good news. That is the ultimate truth. That is the ultimate reality. That's done. That's why it's called news. And this news is not just for you and me. Rather, he has commissioned us. He has sent us to be ambassadors for that good news right here on the Central Coast. We don't need a spotless record. We don't need a theological degree. We don't even need a plan. We don't need the answers and we certainly don't wait until we think that we're ready. We just go because people are lost and we know that they don't need to be. It's the Holy Spirit's job to work out the details. 
Brothers and sisters all around are confused and aimless and helpless and, celeb- and, and separated and it should churn our guts. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the big brother. I want to celebrate with the angels for everyone who was lost but now is found, for everyone who was dead but now has life eternal. And the Father's heart desire is that none are lost, not even one. And that should be hard-pressed in our hearts as well. So I'm going to pray for that. God in heaven, I want to thank you that, that your heart desire is that your family, that this oneness might be comprehensive, it might be exhaustive, that none are lost. Make that our heart too, I pray. That's not in my human nature. That's only by your spirit. So... So by your spirit, would you reveal in me, would you reveal in us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to respond, a gut that churns for the loss. Give us that little bit of courage to step in. Give us that yearning for a lifetime to not stop, to not give up, to see those opportunities that are put before us, to see the lost and to know that we know that we know that their ultimate reality is to be wrapped up in the family of God. Ask it in the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit.